This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to join us again on today. And as always, a special welcome to those of you that are listening for the first time. Welcome, folks. We have been presenting what I, I've been referring to as potpourri. And then the more I think about it, it's, it's you know, this is not a potpourri segment. Potpourri segment is when we are taking a look usually at random topics, usually three, four, or five. And then we cover them within the, within the episode. And it's, it's, they're usually filler episodes. And what I mean by that is we usually do series and then we'll take a pause and maybe I'll do some Q and a that's part of, of potpourri. Uh, I'll cover some, some topics that may or may not be directly related all related to UX, of course, but not necessarily related to one another. And when I started covering the topics that I that I started presenting about, I believe it was two episodes ago now, I, I thought that it was potpourri, and then I just kept listening, and I'm going, this is not really potpourri. Each one of these segments, of course, I'm going to keep labeling it potpourri uh, for a point of reference, but, but each one of these is really a, a segment uh, unto themselves. And we've been talking about personality traits and, and different things that you need to do to help be successful in the discipline. And, and they seem to, for the most part, they've been centered around new UX professionals. And well, we're going to do it again (laughs) today. I, I'm going to call it a potpourri segment, but uh, we're we're focusing on a specific topic, and then there's elements within that topic that that are all you could think of them as 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 being different subtopics, if you will. But tonight, in this episode, I want to talk to everybody about eight things UXers need to stop doing immediately, and and this is a rehash, if you will, of a blog post on UX Uncensored. .medium.com. We've done a couple that have been focused on new UXers out there with regard to trends, behaviors, again, same types of things, traits, principles. That's what we've been talking about uh, up until this week. But these are a little bit different in that these are things that not only new UXers, but even some seasoned UXers. I've seen people who have been, they said they have, because you really don't know sometimes uh, what somebody says and what they've been doing. A lot of times is really markedly different, but these things apply definitely to the new UXers. They apply to people who think they're seasoned. There are a lot of seasoned or, or at least thought to be seasoned UX practitioners folks and folks aren't going to like this, but not here to be like, that's not what we're doing. 
We got to tell you the truth. We got to help people to be in a position where they can navigate successfully. And you can't navigate successfully. You can't grow. You can't mature. You can't excel if you're embracing things that are simply not true. And misinformation is operating at epidemic levels in UX. And so we want to help people to overcome these things. So that means that we're going to say some things that might make you uncomfortable. We're going to say some things that might make your jaw drop. We're not trying to do any of these things. We're not trying to ruffle feathers. We ruffle feathers, but that's not what we're trying to do. We make people uncomfortable. That's not what we're trying to do. And and somebody said recently, and I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last episode, but we were. I was in a conversation. I was at, actually at a UX meetup, and I made a statement, and, and I prefaced what I was going to say, and I said that it's something on the line of this is going to ruffle some feathers, and the person said, what, you? And they were trying to be sarcastic, and, and I had to stop in the moment because, frankly, I have had my feel. I've really been tolerating people a lot of times. Might as well get this out. I've been tolerating people. They think that I'm stupid. They think that I don't see certain things. Uh, they think that they can do anything and it just goes over my head. I got a lot of experience being mistreated by people, being subjected to maltreatment, being abused. But I am, I have always been determined. I've always been of the frame of mind that no matter what you do to me, no matter how you treat me, no matter how you discount me, I'm going to always be excellent. I believe, and I come from a, 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 a background of people who believe in the old adage, as some people might say, of loving my enemies. So I don't care. I know who I am. I know what I stand for. I, I, I know that my worth is not determined by what someone else, how someone else labels me or their perception of me. It does not change a thing. And for that reason, when people do terrible, misguiding things, terrible and abusive things, I don't shift. I will not shift gears. I I know what I was trying to do initially. I know the excellence that I've subscribed to, and I am not going to let what anybody says, does, or think about me change my trajectory. I absolutely will not do that. So when somebody said, made that sarcastic statement about me ruffling feathers or responding to me saying, I knew that what I said was going to ruffle feathers. I didn't know that person was going to say that, but I responded on the spot because I've decided to take the gloves off. I'm just done with all of these weird things that people do. And it's funny. A lot of the people who do it. A lot of them are cowards. They're willing to say something to try to insult me, but when they should stand up and say something for the good of the discipline, they're somewhere being quiet or somewhere in a corner. So shame on all of you, and you know who you are. And I'm not. I'm not holding back. I'm done. I'm. I'm done. I, I, I usually just carry myself with dignity and respect in the moment, and I tolerate it. I'm starting to call this stuff out. I, I'm just done. I'm, I'm done with all of it. And in that segment, I mentioned. And the person may not have meant any harm. But the thing is, I know that in their circles, you ever had somebody had a conversation with somebody, you can tell that they were talking about you to somebody else, and then their conversation starts to manifest itself within your conversation. 
you could tell what they've been talking about. And then they began to talk to you in a way that's actually reflective of what they were discussing about you. It, it's that kind of thing. If you never experienced it, keep living. Keep living and stand up for what's right, and you will. You will experience that. I stopped in the moment, and I said, the things I say may ruffle feathers, but they shouldn't. The only reason that the things that I'm saying, and I mean that right now, and the things I'm going to say tonight, same thing. The things I'm saying right now only ruffle feathers because other people have allowed foolishness and misinformation to abound. If... I'm not saying anything that is radical. I'm saying things that in 2005, they were the norm. In 2010, they were the norm. In 2000, they were the norm. These were things that I read when I read my Jesse James Garrett book, when I read my old Alan Cooper books. These are things that I learned when I studied Nathan Shetroff stuff and old Susan Weinshank stuff. These principles that we should all be doing, that we all should be embracing, but instead people are opting for things. And this is where we're going to go tonight, really, with the, all these different subtopics I'm going to cover. The things I'm going to cover are things that never should have been in the first place, but now they're commonplace and they're causing a lot of problems for different people. They're causing problems for the discipline. They're causing problems for for users, they're causing problems for stakeholders, and we need to stand up and represent the discipline properly so these are not an issue. And people like me who take a stand for what we're supposed to be taking a stand for are not looking like and being made to be the bad guy. That is a disservice. That is not ethical, and it needs to stop. Again, I repeat, the only reason why some of the things that I say are considered to be harsh or some of the things I say are considered to be radical or some of the things I say are considered to ruffle feathers are only because other people who should be saying it or should have been saying it aren't or didn't. That's the only reason. And people sit and they they make fun. They they they, they misrepresent what I'm standing for, what I'm saying, what I'm doing. And and no, folks, no, no, we're not tolerating this stuff anymore. It, it's over. So uh, for all the people who do that stuff, do it at your own risk. Because uh, I may, I may uh, counter what you said in a time when you least expect it. But I'm, I'm done tolerating and putting up with all that stuff. I've been a total gentleman about it. And I will never stop being a gentleman, but the gloves are off. The gloves are off. So so try to do something and play me for stupid at your own risk. Again, I, I've seen things the entire time. I just didn't say anything. And, and it would be right in the midst of something. Somebody would say something ridiculous uh, at the time that I was on someone's show and, and the person taking a pot shot at me made a statement and said about another person, and they said that that person is the smartest black person I know. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this person say this, and I recognize it on the spot. I wasn't going to make a scene. I'm going to be uh, handle things with grace and with dignity. And, it, and, and somebody being undignified is not going to make me become undignified. I'm not going to do it. I will tell the truth, though. 
And in that segment, I'm thinking, wow, that's interesting. Because they said that people that they have conversations with, they all express their concerns about me and the things I'm doing and what I'm talking about. And then they, when they get in a situation where they can speak code to one another, they do it thinking that I don't understand. And I knew exactly what was going on. And it's funny because the person that, the person that, that this individual was talking about is indeed smart. But the person happens to be, again, it was a pot shot at me. It was actually an insult towards me. And the person the person said that that person was the smartest black person they ever knew. There's no competition. You don't see anybody going around saying that's the smartest white person I know. That's the smartest Hispanic person I know. That's a racist statement to make, even though it seemed like a compliment to the other individual, but it was actually meant to be an insult towards me. So just interesting stuff. And and, and it's really sad that, that and, and people would come back to me. People came back to me then and said, why did that person say that? And they knew that it was a pot shot against me. That, that's the other funny thing. People do crazy things and they think they're making me look bad and they're actually making themselves look bad. So it is interesting. I, I, I'm done with it. There's a way to address it and remain diplomatic. There's a way to address it and remain professional. And that's what I'll be. But I will never be demotivated by these people. Is it disheartening? Yeah, it can be. It is. Is it frustrating? Absolutely. It is. We're human. So, of course, it's going to feel that way. But I don't have to turn around and become a dog because somebody else is a dog is what I'm getting at. So that's it. Here are the eight things. And if you look for this post on the UX Uncensored Medium page, you're not going to find it because it's called seven things. And I've added an eighth that I want to cover as a bit of a bonus item today. And I'm going to sort of run through these. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time. On these, I just want to present it and move from one to the other. So you ready? Here we go. Eight things. Again, if you want to see the post, look for seven things. But eight things that you extras need to stop doing immediately. Uh, asterisk. By the way, I might update the, the blog post so I can add this other one. So maybe maybe if you go in there later, depending upon when you listen to this, uh, you may find eight things. So just, 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 just to call that out. Number one. And this is a big one that we talk about all the time. And ironically, I posted something to social media about this today. And it's funny how people respond to things. They don't understand what you say. And then they, some people just, you know, it's called social media, but some people's social skills are just, they're just completely absent. They're, they're just, some people are bankrupt when it comes to social skill. And a person posts something the best thing to do is to respond in kind. If they're talking about the sky, then everything you're talking about, unless something else came up and you want to insert something, and then you you do that in a in a, a in a diplomatic and a courteous way. If you're going to change the subject, but you could at least respond first based on what was said. I made a statement about UX UI, and and so the first to get the the first item out here. New UXers need to stop, and even seasoned ones or older ones, need to stop saying and buying into UX and UI. There is no such thing as UX UI. And the post that I, I shared today, in that post, I explained why it is so prevalent, why you see it in so many places. And you didn't hear UX UI 
in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009. You didn't see it back then. It wasn't something that was very widespread. The siege didn't happen until about 2011, 2012 in UX. And the more you see people with low personal UX maturity levels getting involved and trying to speak up or speaking on the behalf of the discipline, and when you had the hiring boom, when the gold rush to UX started, then you started seeing UX, UI, and job postings everywhere. Folks, the reason why this this combo acronym is so prevalent is because you had a lot of people who came into the discipline or got associated with the discipline, did not understand the discipline, heard somebody else say UX, UI, assumed that it was correct, and then it became proliferated because of people's ignorance or lack of UX maturity. And so you just always, oh, UX UI. Oh, wow, really? Okay. So then they would walk away. Oh, UX UI. It's almost like that old, it was an old commercial back in the day. They say, okay, one person tells a friend something and then they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on. That's how UX UI spread. It didn't spread because it was correct. It spread just because people heard it and assumed it was right and started repeating it. Numbers don't mean anything. And and, and you hear people who you say that UX UI is incorrect. And I explained this in the post, the same thing about the the proliferation of UX. I mentioned it. And instead of responding to what I said, people start talking about something else that had nothing to do with what was said. So they can't, carry on the conversation because they lack the social skills. If you lack social skills, go and build them. They're available. Anybody can build social skills at any given time, pretty much. So just if you know you lack something, just go and go and build the skill. But but coming and hijacking posts and changing a conversation to, to have everybody talk about what you want to talk about instead of what was said, that's not an emotionally intelligent way to respond to something. And, and, uh, it's just not good, folks. If you want to excel, if you want to remove some of the things that are weighing you down from a UX perspective as a new UX professional, and even if you've been around for a bit, you shouldn't definitely shouldn't be saying UX UI if you've been around for a bit. There's a lot of that too. That let that's an immediate indicator when a person says UX UI. It is at a, at about a 98% clip. That is an immediate indicator that that person lacks personal UX maturity and most importantly, lacks care for the discipline because all they're doing, every time they say it, they're setting us back a little bit more. Folks need to stop saying it and you need to hold other people accountable so that they stop saying it. So that's number one, stop saying and buying into UX and UI. Number two thing that, New UXers need to stop doing. And this is pretty much, we, a lot of us wage war against this one, which shows if we can get together and, and, and agree on something, we can make huge impact. Uh, and, and this is in the blog post, so I'm going to share it. And you rarely see it, but used to see it a lot. And then now it's almost non-existent, uh, but it could rear its ugly head at almost any given, any given time. Stop posting, sharing, or engaging in discussions on social media, which is where they normally happen, about before and after UX. This is before, this is after, or which design do you like better, A or B? And they, they think it's an A-B test. When in an A-B test, folks actually use something. They don't just look at something. 
they actually use something. So so that's actually incorrect and from a conceptual perspective. But when people would post before and after and they provide no context, no explanation whatsoever, you have no idea who the users are, you have no idea what's being addressed. And, and that's another reason why so many people think we're UX, UI, because people are out there and all they share is something that's aesthetically dominant. So people who see UX folks always talking about something that's associated with aesthetics, when the vast majority of what we do in UX has nothing to do with aesthetics, uh, then yeah, they're going to walk away thinking that we're an aesthetically driven discipline because folks are misrepresenting us. So don't post those before after things. Don't ask people which design they like better. Don't even talk about, go out there talking about your work and everything in the work examples you share in your case study is all aesthetic because it is misleading. It's misguiding people and you're setting yourself up for a very rude awakening because if you keep, keep on telling stakeholders and clients and and C-suite people and keep implying that what we do is aesthetics and eventually they're going to devalue you because they know that it does, that that's something that takes less work than everything else that we do. Generally speaking, you're setting, you're setting yourselves up for failure. Not good. Number three, stop oversimplifying UX. You ever heard anybody refer to UX as a mindset? Do you realize how many methods, methodologies, deliverables, strategic mindsets, techniques are are at work in the world of UX. And because of that, anytime somebody, when they refer to UX as a mindset, it eliminates, it basically cognitively, it erases everything that's truly associated with UX. And again, it misrepresents the discipline. And if you as a new UXer, or even someone who's been around for a bit, If you oversimplify UX, the work that needs to get done will not get done. And you make the discipline look like something that it's not. That's going to impact hiring. That's going to impact when people need to make decisions about what to do with your team. It's going to impact that. It's going to impact discussions that happen when nobody is there to defend UX it's going to affect all of these things, and, and people miss this, and it creates problems. So don't oversimplify it. Also, before I get off of number three, oversimplifying UX sets up new UXers to have a false set of expectations about what it takes to build skill, what it takes to get jobs, what it takes to operate as new UXers. And so the people who have oversimplified UX when they come face-to-face with the real world of UX, it can really be a daunting thing. It can really be shocking. And a lot of people come into UX and they walk away from it just as quickly as they tried to get into it because they thought that it was way easier or way simpler. Uh, matter of fact, anytime somebody says UX is easy, they don't know what they're talking about, flat out. They just flat out don't know. It can become a second-nature execution of a thing which is happened it happens to everybody who who becomes uh competent in their field when something becomes second nature then yes yeah, way different than when you first started but don't don't look at UX as being something that's easy i made a statement once 
when I was talking to a group of of folks, and I said UX uh, is a, it's a complex discipline, and I it does so when I say it's not easy, that doesn't mean you go around telling people it's hard, but it is complex, and so I said UX is complex, and it is. There's a lot of moving parts, and I said remember we're not flipping burgers over here, and then somebody heard me say that, and this is somebody failing to represent the discipline properly because the only reason you would make a statement like this, like what this person responded and said, the person said, I like flipping burgers. And there was maybe one or two chuckles. That made no sense. Number one, the person was trying to, to negate what I was saying. He was trying to nullify it. He was trying to offset it, which didn't do anybody who was in, in that particular meeting any favors. And if you're going out and you're telling other people stuff like that, we're not flipping burgers, folks. If you think UX is flipping burgers, you need another job. You need to go in a different direction because this can be really volatile territory over here. And if you don't know that, when you come face-to-face with volatility and something I refer to in other episodes as healthy friction, it's going to take you for a loop and you're going to have a hard time dealing with it. It's better to know that up front and then to be in a position mentally and cognitively to be ready to manage and handle those things instead of thinking that it's all cotton candy and unicorns and and and, and uh, flowers over here because it's not. And and so people should not have a false set and false sense of expectations. It's not good. And if you give somebody that false sense and set of expectations, then you are at fault, flat out. So we need to be better at that. Do not oversimplify UX. We shouldn't partner with those who claim to be UX mentors when they have little to no experience. I I, I, have, I mean, don't we know that that's dangerous? And, and you know, some people say, and we've talked before about developing a filter, and, and people say, well, how do I develop a filter? Well, you develop a filter naturally when you build your acumen, so we don't even have to try to do things. Okay, we're going to have a filter building session. We don't need to do that. Keep growing, keep learning, but you have to grow the right way and you have to learn the right things. If you don't grow the right way or learn the right things, you will not have a filter and all those things that you should be rejecting, you're going to turn around and you're going to embrace it. And and there was a situation recently where there was a person that I dialogued with and I believe I did mention this. I talk so many places sometimes, I don't remember where where I mentioned something, but I engaged with somebody and to turn out the person had no experience whatsoever, and the person claimed to have had a following. And I'm thinking, how in the world do you have a following? You just want a following. You don't have anything to offer. It's like inviting people over to your house to eat, and you don't have anything in your cupboard, nothing in your refrigerator, nothing in your freezer, and no money, so you can't call DoorDash. You can't order in. You can't get any pizza brought in. You can't do any. You have nothing to offer. When you have nothing to offer, then don't put on a front and invite people to your house to eat. If you get the metaphor, that's not helping anybody. And it really illustrates the fact when you see people like this, the person I've talked about several times who was on Instagram telling people that they were a mentor And they had six months of experience, and it wasn't even six months of experience. People graduate from boot camps and other programs, and and they're told to go out and tell people that they're freelancing. So they put in their LinkedIn profile, and they've been freelancing for six months. But truth be told, 
They haven't. They haven't done any work for anybody. They've just been saying that they're freelancing. When you are connecting to people and you want them to, to feed into and help build you up your career and your life as a UX professional, make sure they have something in the cupboard. Make sure they have something in the refrigerator. Make sure they have something in the freezer. Or make sure they've got something so they can call, again, metaphorically speaking, and order something for you to eat and not just mouthing off and repeating something that somebody else said. That's not them feeding into your life. That's them putting on a front and trying to build some dependency and trying to achieve some degree of celebritism at your expense. Anybody who is who is accomplishing something at the expense of someone else is a shyster. And folks need to be better than that. And when I, I mentioned a few minutes ago the issue about the developing of a filter, you do not have to have a lot of expertise to look at somebody's LinkedIn profile and tell how long they've been doing UX and determine whether or not you need to be listening to them. Where have they worked? What have they accomplished? Take your take your mind off of what they're saying for a moment. Who in the world are they? I, I have seen people, and I talked about this before, I do remember that on another episode, who have literally copied someone else's LinkedIn post and posted it as their own. There are people who are nothing more than UX parrots. You do not want to be in the audience of a UX parrot because you are, then you are the commodity. In such cases, you're not going to grow. What they're saying can even be true. It can be accurate. That still doesn't mean you should be there. Look up someone's experience. Don't be of the mindset. I've said this a ton of times. Don't, oh, I don't want to say anything, Darren, because you know, that's being judgy. Do you want to save your, your career or not? Do you want to do you want to uh, uh, make progress or not? Be, saying that you're being judgy is being judgy. When people accuse you of being judgy, they're being judgy. Doesn't that sound like a hypocritical uh, a principle to you? We judge things all the time. Matter of fact, you're where you are. You judge that you should be listening to this podcast. You judge you shouldn't be listening to another podcast. You judge that you want to see one movie, and you judge that you didn't want to see another movie. You judge to stop at the red light because you realize if I don't stop at this red light, not only may I not get a ticket, I might not make it home. It's just, it's amazing how people fall for these weird little manipulative kind of philosophies that all they do is put people in a trick bag that causes you to suffer and suffer unnecessarily. Look up people's degree of expertise. And, and sometimes even the person that's three years and five years, you shouldn't even be listening to them. And, and most of the people, the loudest people in the world, in TikTok and, and YouTube and all these other places talking about UX are people with five years or less of experience. Go look it up. Go look up their profiles and you'll see it. And I had somebody today, just today, a person with like a year. I'll give them that year. We'll go with what was in their profile. The person was building furniture one day and then they were doing UX to next. And they were trying to come at me with what I was saying. You're not even some. And another person said, Dare, I don't want you to be offended. And I told the person, 
telling somebody, please don't be, or asking them, please don't be offended. That kind of rhetoric is reserved for when you're talking to immature people. There's no, this has nothing to do with offense. This has to do with whether something is wise or not. This has something to do with whether or not you're wasting my time. This has nothing to do with offense. I don't have anything to be offended. I'm, I'm looking at principles. I'm looking at excellence. And if you are not aligned, this is me now. If if you're trying to share information with me, if you're not, if you don't have a sound value proposition, which means that you have to have some basis, some point of reference that you're speaking from. If you don't have a point of reference, I'm not listening to you anyway. Not really. I'll listen. Does it make sense? And then if it does make sense, I've heard people that what they said makes sense. And I found out they got it from somewhere else. They just said it without giving the proper reference because they wanted to sound smart. This is where people are today, folks. And, 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 and say gloves off, gloves off folks. It be careful listening to these, but don't even listen to these, these, these uh, neophytes. If you will, don't, don't, don't listen to the neophyte. Don't listen to the novice. Why are you listening to novices? They don't know. Are you willing to bet your career on the influence of a novice? Does that make sense? I, I, I certainly hope not. If not, you probably just, those people probably just click and turned off and good. Cause <laughs> I don't, I'm not doing this. To, I'm not trying to build a following. I'm trying to help the UX community. So, so fooey on it. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. <laughs> Number five, stop embracing the fake it till you make it mentality. There's, why, why put energy into faking something when you can actually put less effort into learning something accurately and embracing the excellence of a thing? Faking it till you make it is one of the worst mindsets that anybody could have. And, and the question I always ask, and I ask it in the blog post, would you want to do business with a doctor, a dentist, an auto mechanic, a hairdresser, a butcher buying meat from the meat store, uh, a uh, a landscaper, somebody who's cutting your grass and trimming your hedges. Would you want any of these people to do work for you or on you if they were faking it? There is, unless somebody is an actor, <laughs> because it's their job to fake things, so I'm being mildly facetious, but... You don't want anybody doing work for you that's faking. Faking has no, there's no integrity. Nothing in ethics supports faking something. So use your energy the right way. Instead of faking something, take that energy and go and learn something of a truth. And you'll, in the long run, you'll be better off for it. And you'll know when you run into fake it till you make it, folks, because they, that all they do is run in circles and play games and there's nothing happening. You're not producing anything of note. So, so beware of that stuff. Number six, let's stop operating in accord with the isms and with the isms. I'm talking about racism, cronyism, sexism, ageism. Don't come into UX as a new UXer and then align yourself with these principles because they're all going to come back like a boomerang. They're basically going to come back and bite you. 
It's not an ethical thing to do. It's not a good way to represent your team. It's not a good way to represent the practice, the discipline. It's not a good way to represent or advocate for you or for your users to support your stakeholders and your clients. The isms are destructive factors that do nothing but create a level of toxicity, high levels of toxicity for everybody that's in a given circle. So make sure you make yourself a committee of one and make sure that you're renouncing the isms in your life. They're counterproductive, a counterproductive force. Not good. Number seven, and the last one you'll see if you happen to look up the the blog post uh, as it stands now, number seven on the list is stop being impatient. That's one of the things that's really big amongst new UXers. Everybody's trying to learn everything in six months. They're trying to learn everything as quick as they can. They're trying to get a job as quick as they can. And, and all of these expectations are misguided. When you first want to get into UX, make sure you love the discipline, number one. And, and you better love it because you might not get a job for quite some time. So, and, and although I, I, I pull for people, I'm excited for people, I want people to get jobs, I, I hope they get jobs, I hope they're able to launch in a U.S. career, do your best, move along, uh, and, 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 and go forward. But please keep in mind uh, something, I, I had to say all that to say what I'm about to say, I'm glad that it takes a while for a lot of people because it weeds out the people who don't really love the discipline. If you could, if UX jobs were growing on trees and they are not, no matter what anybody says, they're not, especially for new UXers, because the lowest volume of seniority that gets hired for UX at any company is entry level. They're, the entry level job opportunities are extremely rare. They do not come along that often. They are required and sought after less than any other seniority level in UX. And there's a lot of very sound reasons for that. And if you had your own business and were trying to hire somebody, you would know why and understand and then stop, get off of this soapbox of nobody wants to hire and people are trying to stop folks from hiring new UXers. You don't bring anything to the table. New UXers are a liability for at least the first six to 12 months that they work in an organization. They're not generating ROI. That's why companies don't want new UXers. They got to, anytime anybody starts at a company, no matter what your seniority level is, you have to take roughly three to six months to learn the culture, to understand how things work in that organization, to understand who the stakeholders are, the clients are, the leadership. You have to, you're going to take three to six months minimally it could be longer in some organizations to just to f- try to figure out which way is up, let alone trying to succeed with the work. When you have a new UXer, that six or 12 months is extended. And at the same time, they're trying to really how to, how to do the work on the job. It's almost like on the job training. And it also sort of, it, it, it brings a sense of, unproductivity or a lack of productivity into the team because somebody has to hold that new UXer's hand for the well-being of the team, for the well-being of the organization, and for the well-being of that individual. And then everything, when you hire a new UXer, 
everything in that first year or so is an investment that you hope you'll be able to recoup if that person stays. So that's why, folks, that's why it's hard to find uh, an entry-level position because entry-level at almost any type of, of position, not just UX, it's a risk. So companies, you're asking, people are complaining because they can't find entry-level jobs, but you're acting like these, a lot of the people who have that mentality, they don't understand and they're not considering it, which is hilarious when you think about it, coming into a discipline that requires empathy at the max. You have people coming in who have no empathy for the company that they want to work for. You have to understand things from the perspective of the business. And when you understand things from the perspective of the business, the funny thing is new UXers who understand and look at things from the perspective of the business are able to present themselves in a more positive and a more beneficial light when they're applying for the roles. Because they can see things from the perspective of the business and talk about things from the perspective of the business instead of, I want you to hire me. Nobody's here to do you any favors. Nobody owes you a single solitary thing. So until, until as a new UXer, you embrace that and understand that, it's not going to start sinking in. And then you come in with a sense of entitlement because somebody told you that they guaranteed you a job. When you go through my program, you go to my boot camp, I guarantee you're going to get a job. They're lying to you because nobody can promise anybody a job anywhere in the world. So for no matter what the work is. So when you see that type of ridiculosity, yeah, that's a word for today. When you see that kind of ridiculosity taking place, you know that there are some severe problems. And the people who are trying to get these jobs. If you want to be a, an asset, develop your business mindset. There's, there's an aside for you. And, and having this attitude that nobody will hire new UXers is very counterproductive to the, to the extent that if you have that attitude when you go into the interview, it's going to show itself during the interview and you're going to turn them off. A lot of new UXers can't get hired because they're not hireable. So <laughs> frankly, so become hireable. We've all been there. We all had our first new UX job. We all we all have gone through the process. And if you listen to people about their first job and what they did, it's the more humble people who got the jobs most of the time. Most of the time. We, we tend to act like hiring managers can do no wrong. They're angels and they're extremely intelligent. And a lot of times they have no idea what they're doing either. And they send a lot of companies send people to interviews who have no idea how to interview. And it's all really, it's a circus. So uh, please know and understand that as well. But please, please, please stop being impatient. Don't be this. It can be discouraging, but to sit there and wallow in the pity of your discouragement is counterproductive. So you eventually have to get up. I've been there. I've seen it. And a lot of you, all of us have. The question is, who stood up to say, you know what? I'm not going to let anything discourage me. It's not about the 50 jobs I don't get, but the one I do. And you just keep going forward. And when you have that type of determination and that type of fortitude, it'll show itself in the interview and you 
look like somebody from a personality perspective because you're not bringing anything to the table when you're entry level for the most part from when it comes to skill. So they're looking for attitude. They're looking for passion. They're looking for inquisitiveness. They're looking for humility. They're looking for somebody who's eager to learn. I'm not looking looking for a genius. You're not a genius. You haven't done anything yet. <laughs> so it's amazing how people make themselves to be like some kind of god when they you know no that just not so don't be impatient. It's counterproductive. Now, last one. Here's your bonus item for this topic. So now it's eight things that new UXers need to stop doing immediately. Stop engaging in UX calisthenics. And this came out of a conversation I had with somebody on social media, somebody that I gave some insights to with regard to helping them in making decisions from an educational standpoint. And uh, I actually gave the person several recommendations and they ended up going to a school I told them they should avoid. They went there anyway, and they, they admitted that. And I think they're still going to turn out in somewhat of a decent way, although the reasons why I told them not to go there is still going to bite them. <laughs> That's, I, mean, I don't know why people enjoy getting bit in the rear, but because uh, that's what's going to happen. I mean, when you talk to people who've been there, done that, you have to listen to what they have to offer you or you're going to suffer unnecessarily. We've been there. We've done that. We've seen it. Listen, we've been to several rodeos. So if you're coming into the rodeo, you need to listen to somebody who's been in a lot of rodeos. If you choose to ignore the rodeo vet, another metaphor, then that means that you're opting into the consequences of ignoring the wisdom that they share with you. So you want to be strong today? Keep something like that in mind because arrogance is at epidemic levels in UX today too. It's, it's amazing the, the mindset a lot of people have. But when I uh, in this conversation, the person shared with me what they were doing in the program and they were doing heuristics. They had to, okay, we're going to do this, this project. They did, and they did, I see, I, I think of heuristics first, so I mentioned heuristics first. They actually did heuristics last. But they mentioned several different techniques, methods, and methodologies. And, and they asked me, they, they, wanted, they wanted to get some feedback from me, is this how it's done? Now, is there a set order? Not necessarily. So, so please don't hear that I said that because I didn't. And people always hear what I didn't say. So I'm just going to flat out say that's not what we're saying. But the things that the person said, as, as they mentioned the different, again, methods, methodologies, and techniques, and the deliverables that were being generated, the concept of calisthenics came to mind. And for, for those of you who don't know what calisthenics are, if you think back to your grade school or junior high or high school gym class, we, well, at least when I was in school, and I think they still do it to a great extent, you would engage in calisthenics. You would do jumping jacks. You would do push-ups. You would do sit-ups. And you would, those are calisthenics. Exercises, exercises that are meant to benefit your physical well-being. That's what a calisthenic is. Uh, now it's all about aerobics and a whole bunch of other stuff, so they get all fancy. But calisthenics still have their value. And interestingly, the metaphor is that you can engage in calisthenics from a UX perspective. If you go into a training or an educational program, they can assign you to do quote-unquote exercises, 
and you think that it's going to benefit you, does it help you become familiar with that method of methodology? To an extent, yes. Does it help you to understand when and where that method, methodology, or technique is applicable? Not necessarily. And that's why I'm calling them calisthenics. So if you do exercises, but you don't get the context, you don't learn what the context is, when it's best to apply that and what the benefit is in doing it, then you're just doing calisthenics. If if you don't have any understanding of the associated principles of that thing that you're doing, you're doing calisthenics. If you don't have any strategic insight associated with why are you doing a heuristic analysis? When does the heuristic analysis come into play? What are the benefits of a heuristic analysis? Then you're just, you're just, you're not doing, that's all calisthenics. And the funny thing about heuristics is that a synonym of heuristic analysis is expert review. If you are just learning UX, do you think that you can just go and pick up Jacob Nielsen's heuristics and conduct a, uh, a heuristic analysis? Or would you have to have some knowledge of some of those things first? He doesn't tell you how to apply those heuristics. He lists out 10 heuristics so you understand what the heuristics are in general. But truth be told, he mentions 10 heuristics and then there are factoids, there's elements, there's, there, there's, there's principles associated with each one of those 10 heuristics so you know, okay, so matching between the system and the real world, that's what the heuristic says. But how does it look? What, what types of things do you see that are, are related to matching between the system and the real world? How do you know what part of an interface or an experience are related to that? And then what are the best practices? What are the common conventions? What are the proven principles? When you're just starting out, you don't know any of that. So if you do a heuristic analysis, but you don't know anything, you're just doing calisthenics. And a lot of new UXers are exposed to UX calisthenics, and then they come away with this confidence because they did something. It's a false sense of confidence, actually, that deceives somebody into thinking that they're more skilled than they are. You really don't know. And that's why when I talk about heuristics, I talk about what I call a personal heuristics repository because you develop a knowledge of heuristics outside of doing heuristic analysis so you understand what something looks like. Abby Covert has a fantastic model. It says that it's for information architecture. It's not limited to information architecture. And I was just thinking about how one of her one of her categories of heuristics is some, is to evaluate whether or not something is credible. Okay, so we want to look at the credibility of a thing. We want to look at the accessibility of a thing. We want to look at the at, at the, the realism and the trustworthiness of a thing. How do you evaluate that? Okay, well, there's a whole bunch of different things that you can look at, but you develop knowledge in association with every heuristic you develop that knowledge over time. You don't walk through the door with it. You don't know what it is. And sadly, in boot camps, in some master's programs, 
Uh, and, and sometimes in a workshop, that's one of the problems with a, with a design sprint that people are doing things. We're going to do crazy eights. And you're going to come up with eight designs based on what? Based on what heuristics? Because heuristics can inform design. Based on what interaction design principles? When you get a room full of people engaging in some type of a design sprint that have no credibility and no expertise already in their, in their cupboard, we'll go back to that metaphor, so to speak, how much do you really think they're going to be able to do? And anybody can design anything at any given time. That doesn't mean it works. If we're trying to be successful, there's got to be some expertise. There's got to be some principles. There's got to be a method to the madness that's going to help us achieve wins for the users, wins for the business, wins for the discipline, wins for your team, wins for your leadership. This is what we're trying to do in UX. And folks, these are eight things. If you want to be successful, these are eight things, no matter where you are. How about that? In your UX walk today, these are things we need to, to get rid of, These things we need to renounce. They're all counterproductive. They're all creating problems for everyone, and we need to labor to overcome them. So reading the list over again as we close, stop saying and buying into UX UI. That's dangerous. Doesn't exist, folks. Stop it. They're not the same thing, and they're not interchangeable. Stop posting, sharing, or engaging in discussions about before, after UX images. That goes along with the which design do you like better, which button do you like better, those types of things. And, folks, that's not research. Stop calling it research. That's not research. <laughs> Number three, uh, there's another bonus one, I guess. Stop oversimplifying UX. It is a complex discipline. Number four, stop partnering with those who claim to be UX mentors and they have little to no experience. That goes for some of these fancy big name uh, mentoring, so-called so-called mentoring services too, because some of them, they approve people to be mentors that don't even meet their own qualifications. So be careful with that. And again, I said this in the, the, the series that I where I talked about uh, demystification of UX mentoring, the best mentoring relationships develop organically anyway. You don't know how to find a mentor. And when you don't know anything, how are you going to find a mentor anyway? You don't, you don't know. You don't know how to find a mentor. Let it develop naturally. And your best mentor, should, you should be working with them. And if you don't have a mentor that works with you, uh, then that's a problem. Uh, and that has that's a reflection of the UX maturity level in that organization, just so you know. Not telling you to leave, just trying to help you to understand where you are. Number five, embrace. stop embracing the fake it till you make it mentality. It's counterproductive. It's not ethical. It's not wise. It is not productive at all. It, it is really bad. It's really hurtful for you and for everyone else connected with you. Number six, stop operating in accord with the isms, racism, cronyism, sexism, ageism. They're counterproductive, not ethical. Creates all types of problems for the discipline. And, and, and the discipline pay, pays the price when the isms are hard at work. Number seven, stop being impatient. Uh, um, make sure that you embrace patience. It's an it's an emotional intelligence trait that will help you. You'll be better off for it. Uh, understand how long it's going to take to develop. And remember, when you're in UX, you've committed to lifelong learning. So you're going to be learning. You're never going to stop learning anything. You're, you'll never arrive. There's always more to learn about everything. So stop being impatient. Get rid of that. And then the bonus item, stop engaging in UX calisthenics. That's what people are 
going to workshops or going to boot camps or doing stuff. They go to their master's programs where that were that are run by by people who don't understand the discipline. Um, calisthenics, all they do, you're doing UX related stuff, but you really don't know what you're doing. Even after you did it, you don't know what you're doing because you're doing calisthenics. And and, and I have to throw a caveat in there. Some people don't know what they're doing because they're not listening. Somebody can actually give you a viable exercise. And because people fail to invest, it turns into calisthenics. So you can turn an actual well-structured exercise into an act of UX calisthenics because of your attitude. So make sure that you're buying in. Make sure that you you take time to understand what's being presented to you so you don't transition something into calisthenics that, that should not be calisthenics. So those are the eight things, folks, that UXers need to stop doing immediately. I hope you embrace it. I hope you're committed to doing it. I hope you recognize that none of this is personal. It's about helping people to be your absolute best. I have to do the same exact things myself. So let's make sure we understand that and embrace that today. And we'll all be better off for it. So that's all the time we have for today. So until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of the World of UX, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.